All right. Yeah. Hey, bud. All right, so we're going to dive right into this, guys. Off the Post, Boston Sports, Episode 2. Uh, Brandon and Carter, we got a lot to talk about after the Bees game tonight and the Pats game yesterday, and I don't even know where to get started, Carter. Well, there's a, I think where we need to start is with the obvious issues. Um, with the Patriots, it seems like, it's. I don't think the problem stems from Bill Belichick. I think it's starting to stem a little bit from Josh McDaniels and his lack of trust in the young receivers. Um, it seems like it's pretty obvious he only wants to stick with, with Edelman. And for whatever reason, they love Jacoby Myers, even though the last two or three games he hasn't been able to get separation. And were for even more of a question mark, I don't know why they're not as confident as they should be or probably should be with Nikhil Harry barely playing him uh, against the last two opponents. And I almost, I almost feel that the whole Nikhil Harry, it makes me stem the question, do we have a brand new Ocho Cinco on us where he's not understanding the offense, he's not understanding the playbook or the routes being ran? Because, I mean, you go to last week, the man only ran 22 snaps out of the entire game, and then you do get him the ball. When the guy gets the ball, he makes moves and he's good. I mean, but he's, the fact he's that such an athletic, he's such an athletic, huge, strong body. And it just feels like the, the, whether it was because of his lack of presence in training camp because he was injured or however many games he missed, but it, it, it doesn't seem like he has a lack of understanding, but it's almost like a lack of trust in the coaching staff. And I don't even know if that starts with Tom Brady or if it ends with Tom Brady, but they don't want to use him clearly. They don't want to use him, and you go back to the point that where they're relying on Edelman. When you've got Julian Edelman, Tom Brady threw for a total of 169 yards and 19 completions. Edelman had eight of those for 95 yards and a touchdown. And the one touchdown didn't even come from uh, – well, no, it did come from Tom Brady on the flea flicker. But uh, once again, you go back to the fact that the way we're scoring touchdowns, it's a trick play every week. And me and you both know that doesn't last in the NFL. It doesn't. And that also goes to show you that the coaching staff doesn't exactly trust conventional ways to get down the field. I mean, if you look at the the first real drive that the Patriots had in the in the game, they got down the field with two pass interference calls. Yeah, absolutely. One of them was questionable as well. If we really want to dive into it, one of them was questionable. But it, it's the fact that you, you go to the passing game and all the issues we have there. I still want to know if it's the offensive line's reasoning on why we're not utilizing Sony Michelle. I mean, five carries for eight yards, and that was it. Sony Michelle never... has, has has shown that. I mean, at least with with the offensive line that we have, that he can't. He's not a power runner. I don't quite understand why they don't use Brandon Boldenmore because he's shown, at least in my eyes, that he could really bulldoze his way through. He can he can catch off the ball. He's he's he's. I forget how many touchdowns he has. I think it might be four or five. Um, but he's shown that he's he's been almost this year's version of James White and what they want out of him. Yeah, no. Brandon Bolden's had a total of fifteen attempts, sixty-eight yards, and three touchdowns. So you hit the nail on the head. The guy scores when he gets the ball. Period. But again, we utilize him once every three weeks, and that's about it. Where I think the concern out of Patriots fans should subside a little bit is, and we talked about this earlier, is the Patriots have not won a Super Bowl without 
losing at least two games in a season. Last year, the Patriots uh, won the Super Bowl going 11-5 and in the regular season. The, the only issue is it seems like the rest of the AFC is caught up to them. They have. And when you say the rest of the AFC, we, we got to pinpoint a couple teams. You've got the Chiefs. You've got Baltimore, who the Lamar Jackson show is just unbelievable right now. We can get into that in a few minutes. But you have the Chiefs. You have uh, Baltimore. And you want to throw Houston in there. But after what I just saw with Houston and Denver, I don't even know if you can add them into the mix. And then you have Buffalo just sitting there. To this day, we're, we're three, three weeks away from playoffs, and we really don't know what Buffalo is. And I've never thought I'd say that this deep into a season. You don't know if they're good or bad. It's Buffalo a flip of a coin. Been, Buffalo has always been sort of that, that question mark in terms of are they good or just are they flukes? Because I think the game with, with Houston and Denver, I think that was a fluke win for Denver. I think it was a trap game for Houston. And I think that Buffalo is, is, is almost – the younger, worst coached version of the Patriots right now, and that they're a defense first team that happens to have some weapons on offense and a quarterback that's able to get the job done on occasion in Josh Allen. But I don't worry about the Bills strictly because I don't think they're a well coached team. If they had a better head coach, I think they'd be something to worry about, but I'm not I'm not concerned with them. So I go into the argument with that though. I see them as a team. They get in let, let's just say we win the division. We're the number two seed. And the Bills have to play Kansas City. I see the Bills as a team to slip up. And just with how strong of a smash mouth defense they have, winning an upset game like that against the Chiefs and just shocking everybody. Now, granted, we've seen it before. You go a couple years ago where we fell to the two seed and didn't have to play Jacksonville's smash mouth defense in the first round. And the Steelers had to face them, and Jacksonville beat the Steelers, and we ended up beating Jacksonville and moving on to the Super Bowl. But I see the Bills as that Jacksonville team of a couple years ago that nobody expected to do anything and then slipped up and won a big game and then allowed us an easier road to the Super Bowl. I just feel it's that type of year. I don't want to give up on us. I don't don't want to say we're in trouble, but at the same time, part of me is like, ugh. Is this the year that we finally hit that downside to where we may fall to a three and lose in a wild card or we get the bye and then we got to play Kansas City again? Can can we keep up with Baltimore if we got to travel to Baltimore? It's just it's so many questions that we've never had to experience before over the last 20 years of of Patriot football. Exactly. And this is one of the weirdest and I'm going to say, I've, I've been hearing it all season long. This is one of the weirdest 10-3 and three seasons I think I've ever seen. And we talked about mobile quarterbacks and what Lamar Jackson's been able to do with Baltimore. And you mentioned, you know, we're, and I think you mentioned what we're all thinking is, is this just a, a, one, a one-off of a season for Lamar Jackson? Because we all know that Lamar Jackson is extremely talented on the move and he's, he's got a hell of an arm. But what is he capable of 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 competing at this level? We're no, we know he's good, and we know we know what he can. We know when he, when he's at his best, he's extremely dangerous, and he's been at his best all season long for Baltimore. But what can we expect in the long run? Because we've we've talked about guys like Russell Wilson who've been able to do it consistently, and then we look at this year's version of, of Jared Goff and, and Patrick Mahomes who aren't those 
consistently elite quarterbacks. So I like we talked earlier, I got to see one more year of Lamar Jackson. Now, if this guy slips up and gets a Super Bowl ring, all the power to him, good for him. That's great. I don't see it happening because I just see like a 49ers defense or a high-powered. I think the Saints offense is well more versed than Baltimore. But again, Lamar Jackson's been able to make things work. I don't see them winning a Super Bowl this year. But I need to see another year of Lamar Jackson. We talked about it. You go to Patrick Mahomes. You go to Cam Newton. You go all the way back to Colin Kaepernick. That first, maybe a little bit of a second year, those guys look great. But then when there's so much film on them, it just stops. And it's a brutal stop. People want to talk about a cliff. Those cliffs for the running quarterbacks is so severe that it's boom, end of it, over. Exactly, and that's what that's what in my eyes makes a quarterback like Russell Wilson so special is because he's consistently year after year. I believe it's it's two Super Bowls he's won, right? Ah, uh, yes. He's and he's consistently been year after year turned nothing into in a huge plays. So that's where we 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 question his ability as just, as a pocket passer and staying in the pocket. The only reason I think he's not. And why I think he's so good at being able to throw on the move is because he's not a tall guy. No. And he's forced to get out of the pocket because of that reason. But again, he's one of those, let me get out of the pocket, create a new pocket, and then make a pass. He's not a run-first guy by any means. Exactly. And so Um, where I think the Patriots need to focus is, I mean, I think they got to figure out, I think, Belichick, Brady, and McDaniels really need to sit down and, and, and talk about what, what aren't we utilizing? What haven't we utilized? Why aren't we using Sanu, who we gave up a second-round pick for? Why aren't we using our first-round pick, Nikhil Harry, who's a, who's a huge, strong, athletic body? And, you know, we're down two of our centers. Karras was out last, this, past, uh, this past game against Kansas yep. City. Um. How are we going? You know, how are we going to deal with this offensive line? Brady's throwing the ball much faster than he wants to, and that he's used to. And we, you know, we're, it doesn't seem it seems like we're resorting to trickery way too early in the season. How? But they they all need to sit down and figure that out. But like I've said, like we touched on before, the Patriots haven't won a Super Bowl without losing at least two games in a season. So, you know, as much as I want to say a stat like that doesn't matter, and it shouldn't matter, it's it's something that. It's, if, if there's any silver lining to the season so far, it's that. So I'll also go back. Now, this is when the homer in me comes out, or it sounds like it comes out, but I think you can agree with me on this. Anytime we're down in a game, you see our team make major adjustments, whether it's personnel on defense, it's zone to man, to man to zone, the 3-4, three, 4-3. Four, four, three. It's always adjusted when we're losing a football game. If you look at the three losses that we've had this year, we haven't made any adjustments. Bill has not opened that second playbook that he always has. So I truly feel not using Sanu, not using Harry, not using Sony. Like there's so many not using players right now that I still feel that Bill is sitting back saying, look, regardless, we're in the playoffs. With our remaining schedule, with it being the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins, we're still going to get that two seed. 
Why show them anything? We're struggling already. We know we have issues. We have major issues that if we start to show our cards now, we're not going to be able to make adjustments in the playoffs. So why not get in, lock up that two seed, get that by, and then throw an entire playbook in front of somebody that nobody has seen in the entire regular season to just throw teams off. It's a theory that's that's not too crazy. It it, it sounds it though, but I, I just it it doesn't seem right. Every game that we've always lost or we've been behind, it's all of a sudden new personnel and offense. Uh, Tom Brady under center when he's always in shotgun. The defense just lining up in these crazy formations. It's always been something, but these three losses, none of that's happened at all. And I will be the guy to go ahead and bring it up. The NFL, you have some major issues. Be a Patriots fan, hate the Patriots. Just be a fan of football. The NFL, you have screwed up so many calls in the last two years that it's become ridiculous. And it's not just with the Patriots. It's all around the league. It seems like that's where it, it – I don't – think of officiating being an issue in two major sports other than football in the NHL right now. Agreed. Because I go, I go to the specific play. Now, yes, anybody that's listening to this, that is not a Patriots fan. We have had a lot of stuff go our way over the last 20 years. A lot of flags, a lot of calls. It's like, hmm, here we go again. New England gets another one. They're going to say it started with the tuck rule, too. Absolutely. And I always go back to when everybody's like, the NFL wanted to give it to Brady. Well, when the tuck rule happened, Brady was a nobody. Nobody knew. He, he was a six-round draft pick, number 199. He wasn't, quote-unquote, Tom Brady at that point in time. But you go back to the call. Let's start with the Nikhil Harry. His foot appears to be out of bounds by one ref. The other ref calls a touchdown or starts to raise his arms. If every scoring play is reviewed, and I come to you, Carter, and I say, I think it was a touchdown, and you say, I think his foot was out of bounds, we need to come to a decision to go ahead and call it a touchdown and let the review decide if his foot was out or not. The only issue with that and what I read up on was it was the line judge who was calling it a touchdown, and the goal line and the goal line uh, referee who was was uh, calling him out of bounds. If the goal line referee, the one who determines whether it's a scoring play or not, if he called it a touchdown, then they can review it. But if he was the one who was saying, "I'm pretty sure he was out of bounds," that line judge doesn't have that influence. Gotcha. I did not know that. So it is. That's I'm, I just correct me if, if whoever's listening to this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what they were talking about. But it goes back to the point, though. There shouldn't, exactly. there shouldn't be an overhead. There shouldn't be, well, this is my job. I saw this. You saw that. I overrule you. If there's any question whatsoever of a touchdown, call it a touchdown and let that play be reviewed. Or NFL, if a player makes it into the end zone but is called short, which could be a scoring play, let every single scoring play be reviewed. I know some people are going to be like, no, no, Brandon. It's going to prolong the game. No, it's not. The games are already long enough. There's already enough reviews, enough challenges. 
if the ball goes into the end zone and there's a question if he was short or not, since the ball crossed the plane, it should be reviewed, period. And I want to know your thought, Carter. We'll go back to another call. We won't even we don't even have to discuss the pass interference on Dorset because that was just pass interference in the NFL has been so bad. Even when it's reviewed, they've got it so wrong. It's so to the point where, you know, we're, we got people saying, I don't even know what a catch is anymore. Now we got people saying, I don't know what pass interference is anymore. Agreed. So we'll go back to the scoop and score. Oh, excuse me. What should have been a scoop and score by Stephon Gilmore. You had the biggest player on the field in Kelsey get spun in the air. The ball clearly, clearly out before any of his body touches the ground. Why even bother putting the whistle in the mouth and blowing it? Let the play continue because guess what? All turnovers are what, Carter? Reviewed. Why not just keep the whistle out of your mouth, let the play go, and since it was a turnover, it would be reviewed. You actually have a point there because in, in I know they don't have it in Major League Soccer quite yet, but over in Europe in the Premier League, what they have, they have VAR, they have Video Assistant Referee. So in plays like an offsides play in soccer, which I'm sure you know what that rule is, if you yep. don't, um, or for those who don't, the ball can be played to a forward, can be passed to a forward, but that forward has to be standing in line or behind with the last defender. He cannot be standing um, behind that last defender. It's like the blue line in hockey. He can't, like they can't play the puck if he's in front of that blue line. So pretend that last defender is the blue line and you can play the ball to him. It, it basically prevents cherry picking like it does in hockey. So in offsides in soccer, um, if, the, if, the line, if the assistant referee isn't sure if it's offsides, he will keep his flag down and let play continue. And then the video assistant referee, if it's offsides, will radio down to the head referee and they'll, they'll stop the play and review it. Because, But if they're not sure, they will let to, to, to further your point, they will let play continue, and if the review needs to happen, they will stop the play. I've never seen so many whistleblowers in the NFL when it comes to refereeing than I have in the last two years. Like, there's no point. Like, the ball's out. Instead of just throwing the whistle in your mouth and blowing it, let, let it happen whatever happens. Even if you're completely wrong, there's a reason – that every touchdown is reviewed and every turnover is reviewed to make sure you got the call right. So as a referee, there is no advantage to you at all by blowing the whistle and calling the play dead before it's finished. It, it, there's no point in that whatsoever. It reminds so, me It reminds me of – I can't remember if it was last year, two or three years ago. You may remember. Um, it was back when we had Amendola. Um, I can't remember if it was a trick play or not, but there was a whistle blown dead. I think it might have been a trick play because it, it was a screen to Edelman, and then Edelman was going to throw it to Amendola, and Amendola had a wide open guaranteed touchdown, and the, and the referees had blown the whistle dead for what for a reason that they they came out and said, "Oh yeah, that shouldn't have been a whistle." Agreed. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, I do remember that specifically, and I'll also go to this point: when a defensive player jumps off sides and you hike the football, that's supposed to be a free play, right? Yeah. How many times have you seen a defensive player jump off sides, the offense will hike the ball, and then they'll randomly blow it dead and say encroachment on the defense? 
Why? Let the play go. And I go all the way back, and I don't know your stance on this, but I go back to these temporary referees. Like most of these guys are judges, lawyers. Like they've got well-paying jobs. You need to have a full-time referee system, period, to where in the offseason they're studying, they're reviewing, they're going through training. And set up all the way from NFL to college to high school. You make a bunch of bad calls in the pros in a game, we're dropping you down to a college assessment. And you're going to go ahead and ref a college game. If it gets even worse, we're going to drop you down to high school. Make the it only, an entire organization. The, on, the only issue I see with that and why, I mean, it's such a huge, I mean, there's so much money in that. And then, then you got, there's issues that come with, with, with how much money is going to go into the league for that. But the rules change when you drop from, you know, just, just from, from, from the pros, to, from the NFL to college. And there's that's why I don't know if you remember that that one year where they had the replacement referees from from college come up to the NFL. You're right. Like, it was so terrible because so, there's so many just minuscule rule changes that that affect the game in such a large way. So I don't. That's the only reason why I don't see that working aside from the whole monetary issue. Okay, so forget this dropping down part because I can definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. You drop down a level, the rules change. One foot in, two feet in, I can see that. But you got to make this NFL. You guys got to start paying. You you got to make this a full time job for people, and make it fully understood how each game is going to be called. Because t- again, take the Patriots aside. You can go all the way back to what three, maybe even four years ago now, the Des Bryant catch against Green Bay. Yeah. It's been an issue year after year, and then the NFL said, "Oh, you know what." We're going to review past interference. We're going to start reviewing the stuff that will make this work. And it's actually got worse and hasn't helped in any aspect of the game whatsoever. The only upside about the calls going against New England is for once, all these fans slash haters or whatever you want to call them that say New England always gets the calls, you could wake up today as a person that can't stand the Patriots and a person that loves the Patriots and officially say they got 110% screwed out of a football game, period. And it was that bad. It was, it was bad. And you're going to have the, the, the trolls coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, I think it was Kansas city. They had 10 penalties. It was over 150 yards. Yep. Um, It's like, but what about that? Those aren't game. Those aren't game-changing calls. Those are those are those are false starts. Those are holding calls. Those aren't you know an obvious fumble play that would have led to six points. Those aren't he was in bounds that gave up another six points. Those are just you know those are those are standard in-game holding calls, tripping calls, false starts. Those are those are those are in-game calls. Those aren't game changers. And we're not shying away from the point by any means. <laughs> You can't go down 23 to 7, period. You can't go down 20 to 7 at halftime against the Kansas City Chiefs and expect to win a football game. That's just bad football, slow start, bad offense, need improvements, need adjustments. So if we have to say how well did New England play last night, they played bad football. Granted, they picked it up in the second half and some calls didn't go our way, 
but you can't take away that they didn't play they didn't play well. But the fact that they were able to make it a game and have three different occasions cost them, even when Bill challenged the first down marker and the pass interference, to me, others may disagree, listen to this, but Kelsey stepped backwards, which caused an interference, and he never got the game, the line to gain to even have a first down in the first place. He was tackled at, b- before the 39, and they spotted the ball at the 40. If Bill would have won that, because I've already gotten people say, well, if Bill wouldn't have tried to outsmart these guys and challenge that play, you guys would have had a challenge later in the game. Forget that. If you lose a challenge due to a bad review, that's not your fault. You challenged what you saw, and you didn't win the challenge. It's Yeah, and going back to the Patriots playing bad football, it seems like a lot of the times they're, they're, they're building a 20-foot hole trying to get out with a 10-foot ladder and wondering why they can't get out. It's like you, you, you started this, and then you only put in half a football game. You can't. It's like it's like the the Bruins playing a forty minute hockey game. You're not going to win down the road playing three quarters of a game. That's actually a perfect segue, Carter, because what I saw tonight from the Boston Bruins goes to what I've said for about two weeks now. The points look great. The twenty wins and five losses in regulation. It all looks great, but. <laughs> This hockey team has not played good hockey for almost a month. They've had had moments. It hasn't been whole games for a while. No, and the moments have been in the third period, down X amount of goals, coming back with great momentum, great energy, and pulling the game out and getting the two points. But there's no way that this team can play, especially like they did tonight against Ottawa, who's 12 and 17 and you just gave them that hockey game as if you didn't even show up. It seems like the Bruins, all these, all these games that should be should wins or must wins for Boston, they're trap games. I mean, look at, look at the game against Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, exactly. They're not playing. They're not playing Bruins hockey against teams that they think should be shoe wins. Nope. So you you can point out three of them right out the gate. You got the Detroit game, you got the Blackhawks game the other night, and then you got Ottawa tonight. But then you look at the schedule and say, okay, well, let's rebound. Oh, wait a second. Rivalry night, Wednesday night at the Capitals, where we're basically 14 or 1 and 14 in our last 15 games against them. Hey, you pull that one out? Maybe. Oh, let's travel to Tampa the next day and play a team that is just dying to get wins right now because ever since Yeiserman left as GM, they've been in a world of hurt, and they're just looking to find momentum. Yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like – I mean, I remember the first time I saw the Bruins play when Braden Holpe was with the Capitals, and I knew the fir- after the first – after the three years of seeing Braden Holpe just not let anything up against the Bruins. I knew he was going to be an issue, and it's been that way since. I don't know what kind of personal vendetta that Braden Holt has <laughs> Boston or the city of Boston or Massachusetts or New England, but he does not want any sense of pride with the Boston organization leaving his building. 
No, not at all. And I feel that way with Ovechkin as well because it seems like he plays on a whole nother level every time we have to go up against him. And then I get to the point now to where it's like, okay, Pasternak came out the gate, 25 goals in 27 games. Wait a second. Where has he been the last three? He had one shot on goal the other night. There's no reason, whether Patrice is playing or not, there's no reason your stud should have one shot on goal. And I know you can, you can, you can take off once I get this comment out. The fact that he is almost being headhunted by every single team that we play, that is normal when you have an elite goal scorer. That happens. It happens to Crosby, Ovechkin, everybody that scores a lot of goals. He's either going to step up and become more physical, put some weight on, and give the hits back to where they're not going to be so aggressive, or somebody like Carlo McAvoy, forget Chara because he's just getting old in age. Somebody's going to step up when somebody makes a hit on pasta and just put it to them and say, you're not doing this tonight because if you do, you're going to deal with me. And I don't see that. What I didn't like about when John Moore stepped in is he's coming back from surgery. That's yeah. his first game back from – was it shoulder surgery or – Yes. <laughs> but, you're, I mean, I all respect to him because he knows very well what he's getting himself into with a scrap. But, he, like, A, he gets one punch. B, I mean, Richie was still out with an illness or an infection or whatever it was. But I think once, once you know – because, I mean, you look at who's going to be on the ice when Poss knocks on the ice. It's not going to be Richie. It nope. might be Kevin Miller when he gets – if and when he gets back. But it's not going to be – it's going to be him, uh, Bergeron, and Marshan. Marshan might, might be able to mix it up from time to time, but it's got to be – it's got to be a defenseman because it's not going to be Richie. Richie's never going to be out there with Pasternak. So I don't think you, – you don't have too much protection. It's not like Alex Ovechkin is a humongous guy. He's a strong guy. Alex Ovechkin gets headhunted, yes. But Alex Ovechkin also does some headhunting himself. So people really know not to mess with him too much. But I don't see – Pasternak being the guy to bulk up and start delivering hits like Ovechkin does because that's just not the player that, that Pasternak is and if he starts straying more, more towards the, the physical side of things he's, his, his goal score his goal total is going to go down so, so, I, so also remember this so when Ovechkin gets headhunted or when he headhunts himself there's one guy on that team that just stops entire play and beats the hell out of everybody do you know who that guy is? Tom Wilson. Yes. So when any, whenever, it, whether it's Oshie, Backstrom, uh, Oshie, any of those guys, whenever somebody goes to lay a lick on them, Wilson stops play and beats the hell out of whoever it is. And it doesn't happen again the rest of the game. And I think Wilson is somebody that nobody even looks at, talks about, discusses but he plays a huge aspect in being able just to stop the game make sure whoever made a lick or whatever it is stops and then they go back to hockey tom wilson's a huge asset we don't have that on the bruins we we've got had it. we had it with Char- like chara chara is the kind of guy who he doesn't need to fight anymore because he'll look at you and he just he garners that respect from anyone else who's on the ice I mean, 
the Bruins, they, I mean, they used to have, they had it for a season in Zach Ronaldo. They used to have it with Lucic. They used to have it with Horton. It's not something that, it's not, it's not really so much the big bad Bruins anymore because the game itself is changing. And I think Bruce Cassidy realizes that, that the, you know, the role of the enforcer is kind of starting to fade away. So it's, it's all speed. It's all skill guys. And I think where he's expecting, you know, people to stand up for, for guys like Pasternak is, is is your big defenseman? You're not seeing too many of those those Tom Wilsons, those Ryan Reeves, um, enforcer guys in the league anymore. They're, it's kind of fading away. No, and Carlo's a big guy. Carlo can throw his gloves, but he he chooses not to. I mean, he's still young. He's still figuring it out. I've never. I don't. He'll shove guys around out of the crease. He's strong, obviously. He's smart, but I don't. See, he's not really an aggressor. But here's the problem, though. You mentioned the whole char aspect, and I get it. Somebody does something, Chara skates up to them, threatens them, they back down, they go away. Well, all that player is thinking is, oh, so I'm going to hit this guy, Chara's going to skate up to me, yell at me, and I'm going to skate away, nothing's going to happen to me. The fact when you go to the Capitals, and you know if you do that, Tom Wilson is going to beat the brakes off of you until somebody pulls you off of him. That's got to mentally screw with you more than anything else because you know that if you make that hit, you're going to have to deal with something. With us, it's, oh, I'm going to make this hit, and then Char is going to yell at me a little bit, and that's going to be it. Nothing's going to happen. I can't remember the last time we, besides Moore getting one punched, I, I can't remember the last time we've had a really good throwdown that's actually worked in our favor. And that's all. missing a guy like Adam McQuaid. I think that, oh. I think that was our real last – I mean – we have Kevin Miller, yes, when he's healthy. Kevin Miller is our new model, Adam McQuaid. But Adam McQuaid, A, one of the most dangerous, best fighters the league has seen in recent years, next to guys like Tom Wilson and Reeves. But Adam McQuaid, you knew, was in the back of your mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And now, now I go back to the actual scoring aspect of the team. I feel like we're back in that slump again to where the top line's not scoring we're in trouble. And that killed us in the Stanley Cup Finals when they couldn't score. Nobody else could score. And I hear people say, well, let's make trades. Let's not make trades. I do feel that we need to get rid of somebody like Heinen or even Nordstrom to bring in a wing goal scorer. I don't want Tyler Hall because he's all about money and his name. We, we don't need that. But I do feel we needed some sort of shakeup or adjustment to be able to start this streak back where it was in the first month of the season. Yeah, I mean, the in the in the 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 hate towards guys like Dan Heinen. I like Dan Heinen a lot just for the reason of he does what doesn't show up on the stat sheet. He gets in the corner, he makes he makes you know he he digs deep. Gets, gets toward those end boards, uh, fights for the puck. He does the dirty work that doesn't – I mean, yet he should be a goal scorer. That's his position. But he does the stuff that doesn't show up on the score sheet more often than not. And that's why I respect the hell out of him for not being such a humongous guy. He's fast. He can skate with – he can skate with the best of them. He can skate with guys like McDavid and McKinnon and those speed skaters. And with a guy like Taylor Hall, who he scores, he scores goals, but you're right in the, in the fact that if he – if he really wanted to be to win games, and he he would have he would have left Edmonton the second 
his his contract ran up the first time, but you know they're paying him a lot of money, and money talks in a league like this. So I think I think he's gonna he's gonna be in Edmonton for a while. I agree with that. So I want to fire this question at you, and I know it's early in the season. We got a long time before we figure this out. But your bold prediction: Does Tory Krug take a pay not a pay cut, but less money than what he could earn somewhere else, and stay with Boston, or is he gone? I think he stays. Yep. I feel that way too. And Bruins fans enjoy this right now because if we can sign Krug with the extensions that we've done with Bergey, Pasta, Marshan, with all these guys right now, Coyle's extension, Wagner, we signed Carlo, we signed McAvoy, we're sitting in good shape to have a solid hockey team for the next three to five years. Not saying we're going to win a cup every year. Not saying we're going to be a deep playoff team every year. But we can look at it and understand that as a Bruins fan, you're going to enjoy the next three to five years no matter what. If Krug comes back, we're set up with a whole team for a good length of time. I agree. And once Char inevitably retires, Bergie's going to get the C. Marchand's going to stick with the A. I think depending on you know how – because Krejci is playing a lot better than a lot of people have expected him to this year. I think this year is going to, de- is going to determine whether or not Krejci stays. And then Krug is going to get that next A on his jersey. So let me ask you this, Carter. With Krejci playing the type of hockey he is so far in the first quarter of the season, is this the season that you finally try and shop him and get rid of that chunk of a contract? It would be stick smart, yes, to do that. However, I think Krejci makes an impact on this Bruins team that not a lot of people realize he does. But in what aspect? I think it's more than just on the ice. I think he's like Char in the fact that what he doesn't often contribute on the ice, if he's not contributing, is off the ice and in the locker room. I think he trains right. I think he's a good example for the younger guys and what to do and what not to do, whether or not he's playing well or not. I think he has those intangibles that don't often show up, like I said, on the score sheet. I just, I've been the guy, and I've admitted to it multiple times. And for you that follow us on the Bruins page, you know I've done this. I think Krejci is overpaid. Um, I think he's a great asset to the team. Now, I'm eating my own words due to the play that he's done so far in the first quarter of the season because he has played really, really good hockey. But I feel the man is overpaid. He's taken up a huge cap space. I get what you're saying in the locker room, but I feel that we have enough veteran locker room voice to where we wouldn't be missing a whole lot if we were to lose him. Yeah, the only reason the only reason I mostly agree with you is because yes, his contract is huge. And yes, I mean he's getting up there in age, and so it might be smart to trade him now with this style of play. I I mean I don't know who would take him. But I think it might be smart with how well he's playing right now. And if he can keep it up, he's getting old. His contract is huge. And if we can get him for the right price or the, you know, the, the, the picks, the players, whoever, whoever it may be, I think it might if, – if you're going to get rid of him, I think this is yep. the year to do it. And you've got to do it early because he's playing really good hockey. Because here's what happens. You sit on it and you wait and you wait and you wait to make that certain move. And then he has three weeks of just not showing up on the stat sheet. Granted, I get what you're saying. The stuff in the locker room, 
the stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet is awesome. But when it comes to trading somebody, they're not looking at that aspect. They're looking at what can you do for me now if I need goals, if I need assists, if I need turnovers. What can you do now? Because if you can't show up at that, I'm not trading for you. So we can end it by uh, we, we got the Celtics. If we're going to touch on the Celtics at all, I know we're 40 minutes in, guys, and I appreciate all of you guys listening and hanging in with us. Um, Celtics are off to a great start. I think they're 16 and five now. You got Gordon Hayward back tonight. They had another big win by 12 or 14 points against the Cavaliers, which doesn't say much. But uh, they moved up to fourth in the power rankings. It's a team that wasn't even in the top eight of the power rankings going into the season for whatever reason. And we are a better team with Kimba and not Kyrie. And I don't know how much you want to segue into that, but I just I, I think this Celtics team can go very, very deep. And they're not going to be talked about like they should be until you get after Christmas break. I agree. I think the only team in the East that the Celtics really need to worry about, which is the obvious answer, is is Milwaukee. And I don't, I don't see the Celtics making it to the finals. I see them. I see. I see it going seven against Milwaukee wherever they meet them in the yep. playoffs. But the Celtics have proven that they can beat good teams. They can beat good teams on the road. In every interview I've seen with a player in, or, or with Brad Stevens, you can see that everyone's a lot happier. And I, I don't know if that's a, a, a direct cause of Kyrie leaving or, or whatever it may be. But Jason Tatum is, is, is proving his worth. He's showing that he can be an elite player in this league. He's only, what, 21? Yep. Jalen uh, um, Brown is playing extremely well. Marcus Smart is getting MVP chance. Um, I think someone who's really stand stood out to me is uh, is uh, is Tice, yes. someone who whose name I didn't even know <laughs> coming into the season last year, and all of a sudden he's leading the Celtics in rebounds. Well, you, you have something completely different now. You went from a shoot first point guard that wanted all the attention but couldn't lead anybody in a locker room to Kimba, who is a leadership guy, loves personal relationships in the locker room, and will distribute the ball to who is hot. You go to last year, it was Tatum's hot, but now Kyrie takes the next five shots, and it just it skewed everything. But now you got a guy that's willing to distribute the ball first, but if he does have to make a clutch shot or a play on his own, he will get it done, and we did not have that last year. I was one of those guys, hey, Kyrie, the earth is flat. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. We're about to win a championship to, oh, <laughs> you're you're not yeah, what right. I thought you were. You were literally a partner with LeBron James who carried you, and you made a clutch, a few clutch plays in the playoffs to win a championship. And I've never been that – I've never been that – tricked in my entire life when it comes to a player coming to Boston. I was in North Carolina the with only- jerseys on, like, yeah, we got Kyrie. We're winning the championship. Wrong. The only reason I don't see the Celtics making it past Milwaukee is because who's who's the biggest man that the Celtics have? Robert Williams? Yeah, who's not that physical. 
How are we? Who's going to guard Giannis? That's my question. My only argument with that is I go back to the old saying with LeBron. Let Giannis score 50 and shut everybody else down. The thing that people look at with Milwaukee, you've got Giannis, but Middleton just puts up the points left and right to where you're dealing with Giannis and Middleton. But if you can take Middleton out of it and let Giannis score 50 and make the others produce, that's the only chance that we would have. That's it. But I'm with you. You make a good point, sir. But I'm with you. I I see them making it deep, and it's going to be a fun season to watch as a fan, and we can make it a good length. But I do see us falling short. I hope we can look back on this second episode that we've done and say we were dead wrong in celebrating the 18th championship for the Boston Celtics. But I say whenever a team does have that one big guy and then a very good role player, take the role player out of the game and force that one guy to win a seven-game series. And yet we have not seen that happen. But that's all I've got. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to you tend to. We're 45 minutes in. Um, we, of course, me and Carter, guys, we can't thank you all enough for all the support on the Bruins page that have allowed us to even get to where we are. Continue to go to Off the Post, Boston Sports on Instagram. Like us, follow us, hashtag, comment, videos, everything. Um, we got a sponsor that we're going to release hopefully this Sunday that wants to do a bunch of giveaways and stuff like that. And let's be honest, Carter, even take the page out of the aspect. We all love giveaways. But it is, even if it's a koozie, it's always fun to get free stuff. Everyone loves yeah, free, free stuff. stuff to everybody. So uh, we can't thank you guys enough. Um, just it's it's been overwhelming what you guys have done to support us, and we look forward to keep doing this. But uh, we can't do it without you guys. So as always, uh, Carter, you got any last words for our second episode? We're on to Cincinnati. <laughs> We're on to Cincinnati, guys. Thank you so much. It's off the post, Boston sports, all sports, all Boston, all the time. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.